Well, good morning. Uh, this, this morning, the, the topic that I have, um, has been laid on my heart and I feel is pertinent to these scripture readings is uh, the issue of God's work, God's activity in our lives, God's activity in our communities and our institutions and so on. And one of the words that uh, theologians have used to describe that is, is sanctification. It's God's work of sanctifying um, our own works into uh, conformity with his. And if you've been a Christian for long, one of the things you'll notice is that sanctification can be really hard to see. I know in my own life, I have had dramatic changes here and there. But in the day-to-day, I I don't tend to see huge changes in my heart, even though I long for it all the time. And so the question that it brings up is, what does the work of God actually look like? What's its shape, and to what degree and what extent is God's work at hand? And I have seen blessings in my own life, my family. We've seen blessings here at St. George's. Um, in fact, we've just, you know, finished this capital campaign and we've had plans and designed buildings and there is a foundation that's being built over there, which is incredible. And that begs the question, is that the work of God? Clearly, I think we've answered in the affirmative. But what about your own spirit? What does the work of God look like in your own spirit as you wrestle through challenges and sins and the conditions of life under sin? Does it look like prayer? Does it look like extravagant advances in your holiness? Does it look like brokenness? Does it look like confidence, humility? What does it look like? And our readings today actually give us a pretty clear answer to that question. God's work, if we look at these two readings on its most elemental level, looks like resurrection. It looks like bringing dead things to life. That's God's work. It's extravagant, incredible. And in order to see it most fully this morning, we actually have to look at both of the readings. Uh, We need to look at the Old Testament reading and our gospel reading. So if you've been longing for a sermon on Haggai, which I'm sure you have, today is your day. (laughs) In this overlooked uh, book of the Old Testament, just so you know, it is one of the minor prophets. It is the, well, it's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, Only after that are Zechariah and Malachi. Um, But it tells the story of the prophet Haggai, who is the prophet during the time that the Jewish people have just come back from being exiled under the Babylonians and the Persians. This is the 6th century uh, BC, late 6th century. So they've all come back to Jerusalem. You all know the story. They were disobedient. God exiles them. They're taken into captivity off to a land that they don't know. And then finally, under the Persians, uh, they're released to go back home. So they come back home to Jerusalem. And they find the place in ruins, just all rubble. So God's command to them is to rebuild the temple, the center of their life in the promised land that God had carved out for them. So they began to rebuild. But rather than rebuild the temple, they rebuild their own houses. God does not like that. That's not what he called them to. So Haggai, the prophet of the Lord, says, no, 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 you must rebuild the temple. And that's the first priority. So they do. He listens. They listen. The high priest, Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, they listen to the Lord and they do rebuild the temple. And that's when you have our particular reading from Haggai. But as you'll notice in the reading, 
the temple is only a shadow of, it once, of what it once was. It, it, it had been wiped away entirely from its former glory and they'd rebuilt it and it's smaller, it's less impressive, it's even kind of pathetic. And so God says in verses three to five, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, work for I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. So even though the temple is this half-hearted, weak effort, the Lord still says that he will stay true to his promise to give them a land and most importantly to be with them as they rebuild the cornerstone of their nation, which is the temple. And God also reminds them at this point of the bigger plan, the bigger issue at hand, the bigger goal, which is that the temple is, is going to be far more than just this place of Jewish worship, but a blessing to all nations. And that's verses six to eight that we read. He says, in a little while, I will shake all of the world. I will shake the earth, the sky, the sea, and the land. I will shake all nations that the, that the desire of the nations will come in and I'll fill this house with glory. So he says, I'll carry on my work even in light of your weak efforts and your unfaithfulness and I will do even more than you expect. The temple will hold the glory, not just of your nation, but all nations. If if you remain obedient. To illustrate this, Haggai uses an example, a little foreign to us Christians, but to these Jewish people, it was clear. He says, if a person touches unclean meat or a dead body and then later touches other food, is that food also unclean? These people, they know the laws of Leviticus well and they answer, yes, it's unclean. Then Haggai says, that is exactly the way your work is. If you have touched death, then anything that you then touch also turns to death. This reminds me a little bit of Pluff Mud. I don't know if y'all have spent any time in the low country, but we have a very special kind of mud that's called Pluff Mud. And if you get it on your body, it does not come off easy. Uh, if you've ever been in a creek in the low country, you know, you get it on your legs or your arms or wherever. It gets everywhere. And I guarantee you, after you take a shower, after you use soap, all the whole shebang, you will wake up the next morning and you will find some pluff mud, either like in your ear or in the corner of your eye or in your arm. But anyway, it gets everywhere. It will not go away. And this is like uncleanliness that God talks about. Death yields death. It spreads. If you pass on a, a, a good thing to your child, it will also yield good. But if you pass on death, it yields death. That's the point. And so that's basically how Haggai ends. <laughs> the Israelites rebuild the house of God, yes. But will they pass on the glory of the Lord or will they pass on death? You have to read Zechariah and Malachi to find the full story of it, but our Luke reading gives us the short answer. So this is 500 years later, Luke chapter 20, which was our gospel reading, and Jesus, just like Haggai, walks into Jerusalem to the very location of that prophet's work. He also surveys the condition of the temple. He does find a temple. It's bigger. It's more extravagant but he also finds rubble and destruction. 
He finds these religious leaders, the Sadducees, who have led Israel astray, who don't understand God and don't, as Luke says, believe in the resurrection. And so when these teachers of the temple ask Jesus if a woman has been married seven times will then have seven husbands in the afterlife, Jesus knows exactly what they're saying. They're saying the resurrection can't possibly be true. So Jesus gives his answer. He says, in the life of the resurrection, people will not marry or be given in marriage because life, the true end and goal of marriage, will be accomplished and never ending with the Father. And then Jesus says, as Matthew's account puts it, that these Sadducees neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God because God is the God of the living and not the dead. And so we get our answer about what happened to Israel after Haggai. These teachers and workers of the temple are not living into the continued work of God. They don't know the scriptures. They don't recognize who Jesus is, and they don't know about God's power. They are, in effect, agents of death. But if we know who Jesus is, then we see something else going on in the story, don't we? Remember the deal in Haggai that was made between God and Israel, it had those conditions. Be obedient, be faithful, and God will then do his work of making you into a great people. And so as the Sadducees prove, along with the books of Zechariah and Malachi, they were not faithful, they weren't obedient. And in fact, Zechariah and Malachi uh, tend to characterize them as corrupt and idolatrous. So they pass on death to more death. But when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, we see a different story. We see that even while Israel fails its part of the deal, the promises are somehow kept. So God says in Haggai, you'll remember, be strong, keep working, for my spirit is with you. So Jesus, God incarnate, proves the extent of what he means. And God also says in Haggai that he will shake the nations, and he does remember the death of his son on the cross. God also says in Haggai that his glory will fill the temple, and it does too. Not only when Jesus, God himself, walks into the temple as a young boy in Luke chapter 2, but also when breath fills Jesus' lungs and he comes out of the grave. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem and he finds rubble, he proves that God will complete his work. Jesus himself becomes the link that enables Israel to pass death on into life. Jesus does the work that Israel cannot. And so the answer for our original question, what does God's work look like? Will he carry it out in our lives? I think it's clear. When we turn to scripture and see, as St. Augustine once said, with the eyes of our heart on its heart, Jesus. We see the extent to which God promises to carry out his work in our flawed, sinful, and even anxious lives. He will do it. He will abide in you if you abide in him. And when you pause to survey the work of your life and you see rubble or half-hearted attempts or misguided plans, maybe mixed emotions and attentions, inconsistent results, look to Jesus Look to Jesus and see the way that he completes the work of God. Because he is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.